Hi, I'm Chris, and welcome to this week's episode of To Be Published, a podcast that provides organizational leaders with the tools to integrate and synchronize sustainment and to generate combat power. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Defense, the Combined Arms Center, or Army University. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the To Be Published podcast. With us today is Lieutenant Colonel Devram Brown of the Command and General Staff College. Dev, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself before we kick off, uh, I'd like to start talking about resource management, and I think you're the perfect guest to help us get through this. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I really appreciate being here. I'm honored to be here and humbled to be here. Um, so I've been here at the school since June of 2019, uh, but prior to that, uh, I would say uh, the job that really qualified me to be here is uh, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment Comptroller. I served in that role from uh, the summer of 2016 to 2019. Um, uh, prior to that, for two years, uh, 2014 to 16, I was the director of the Finance Captain's Career Course at Fort Jackson. And then prior to that, from 2011 uh, through 14, uh, I was the deputy G8 for 101st Airborne Division. Uh, with uh, and in that three-year time frame, uh, I had a one-year deployment to RC East, uh, Regional Command East in Afghanistan. That's correct. Yep. That's correct. And then uh, I also meant to, uh, I forgot one uh, part of that while serving. In the role of the uh, 160th Comptroller, I'd served in a 90-day tasking uh, in Iraq as the uh, Special Operations Joint Task Force J-8 for, for three months on a tasking. Awesome. So lots of broad experience, uh, both in the operational and the resource management uh, career fields across Special Operations, the schoolhouse, both here and the Captain's Career Course, uh, and then in, in the divisional level. Uh, so I think we're going to have a great conversation today uh, focused on resource management. Uh, so my, my first kind of question as we, we get into this discussion back and forth is, is what is resource management and why should field grades care? Well, I think resource management is, I, I view it really as a subset, if you will, of the greater sustainment effort. It, um, you know, it's it, it's just a different form of sustainment. Now, it, then I would then further uh, delineate it in terms of home station uh, resource management, where from that aspect, we're talking about managing funding, uh, and from my previous experience, predominantly operations and maintenance funding at, at a tactical level uh, to achieve levels of readiness that the unit is uh, charged with achieving while at home station to then prepare it for any uh, potential deployment where you you carry that over into um, now leveraging funding in such a way as again part of sustainment to enable and create operational reach, operational uh, endurance, and sustain that effort. Mo money 
funding is part of that overall is a subset of our overall sustainment efforts to achieve those things. And that's how I look at resource management. So we're using uh, funding, we're using resource management to pay for readiness. We're in essence buying down risk, paying for readiness. And then when we deploy to extend operational reach, uh, to give the commander, right, another tool in its kit bag. Sure. Almost kind of, uh, in coin, we used to say and have the term, that money is a weapon system or MOS. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about that? So that was really a term during the coin fight. Uh, what about now? Yeah, I think I think it depends on how you're using the term. If you're talking about money as a weapon system in specific terms, uh, in terms of the uh, SOP that was... Uh, administered by uh, Arcent during these last 20 years, then, you know, maybe money as a weapon system isn't uh, a term uh, that's relevant just because we've we've moved out of that coin fight because that SOP was very coin-based and coin-focused. And then there for a time, there was even an SOP that was, uh, it was money as a weapon system um, commander's emergency response program, which was a specific funding for commanders to use to, uh, to build like civil projects and, and whatnot for local tribes and a specific authorization for Congress. Right, right. Um, but if you're using the term money as a weapon system more as a, a general term, then I would say then it is still relevant. Um, and if I could uh, describe a, an anecdote that would be that when I was the deputy G8 uh, overseas in Afghanistan, regional command east, a- at that point in my career as a young major, I was more of a um, cost reductionist, let's say. You know, I was focused on cost. Hey, how do we, you know, uh, penny pincher, if you will. Uh, and I had a great conversation for, for our uh, next hire, G8, the U.S. 4A, U.S. Forces Afghanistan, J8. And I was uh, describing kind of my approach. And he said, no, Devon, you're looking at it the wrong way, right? Money funding provides an effect. It's, it's very similar and akin to fires. It provides commanders with an effect. So going back to your question, money as a weapon system, as a just as a term, not, not an SOP, I think is still relevant because that is, that is how I uh, view that folks like myself, comptrollers, should uh, advise commanders in that way to use their funding uh, as a way to achieve the, the desired effects, right, the, to achieve their end state, the end states that they are trying to achieve. And so that, that really, I think, ties it into the warfighting function discussion that we had earlier about you know, resource management being underneath finance, being underneath the sustainment warfighting function, mm-hmm. uh, really applying it you know, to get the effects. Yeah. But I think it, it, yes, it is part of sustainment, but just like sustainment uh, needs to integrate well with operations, so does finance. And I think um, you know, for field grade officers that are coming to the command and general staff school, um, and again, this goes back to my point about 
resource management being everyone's business, uh, those uh, personnel, those officers, those soldiers that are not financed like I am, it's part of their business. They need to understand it. Uh, and conversely, finance officers, a good finance officer, understands operations so that they can better understand and help folks like S3s and XOs and commanders integrate finance in such a way that it provides commanders flexibility and additional options to achieve their end state. That, that is how it should work. So I want to jump around a little bit uh, because before you came in the Army, you worked in the civilian industry. Mm -hmm. um, and it, tying back to that resource management is everyone's business, um, we had a conversation before the show. Uh, you were a CFO at a company. Can you kind of explain a little bit more how you came to that point? Well, I wasn't a CFO. Oh, okay. I, I, was a, I was an accountant that worked, a cost accountant that worked in the, um, in the financial department. Um, and, and really, you're right. This is where uh, the, this takeaway of resource management is everyone's business came from, is because I saw in that, in that role as a young accountant in a telecommunications company, that it wasn't the CFO, the chief financial officer, making decisions in a vacuum. It wasn't him or her just uh, arbitrarily saying, hey, we're going to, to raise money, we're going to issue some debt this month, or we're going to issue do a stock issuance. Uh, we're going to change these processes to find efficiencies and save money and or we're going to take part of this, this percentage of profit and invest it into this thing that will lead to us making more revenue and more profit. Uh, he wasn't making those decisions in a vacuum. The CEO uh, was very much part of that. And I view the CFO, the C, the CFO CEO dynamic that I'm talking about uh, from my civilian experience is the same dynamic that needs to be happening in a unit. This, the, the EXO, the executive officer, who is a microcosm of a corporate CEO in some respects, right, uh, needs to be heavily involved in resource management and needs to understand it uh, and then obviously know how to leverage their unit CEO or CFO, excuse me. Uh, Which would be the S8 or the G8. Correct. Uh, yeah, in in the conventional army, we you know we were able to get uh, the S eight uh, on the MTOs in twenty fourteen uh, for the IBCTs, ABCTs, and the sustainment brigades. Uh, the CABs uh, have recently um, had their MTOs uh, changed to also have an S eight. That was as of twenty seventeen. So, yeah. So. When we talk about it's everyone's business, not just the CEO or the or the XO, uh, then the CFO or, or the the S eight for mm -hmm. kind of comparisons to the civilian world, uh, who else is involved on that team? Uh, well, you you also have these uh, well soon to be finance battalions okay. and finance companies. Uh, currently, they're called. Uh, financial management support units and financial management support detachments. Those exist in the sustainment brigade footprint. And I think the 82nd uh, just changed over Correct. to the 82nd finance battalion. They're, they're the first ones. Yeah. But an FDU uh, force design update 
had been recently approved uh, to to change those, and not just the name uh, that the FMSU, the support unit, was commanded by a major. It will uh, change to be commanded by a, a CSL selected 05. Uh, and so a tactical unit's S8 needs to uh, understand what it is that the finance battalions and finance companies can do, what they can provide, because they're the link that, uh, particularly when that brigade is tasked to go and deploy, right, the S8 can only do so much. The S8 is managing that unit's budget, okay? But when they go downrange, uh, there are going to be times when that brigade may need cash to fund uh, field ordering officer and paying agent operations. Uh, and also, it needs a, a venue to go to and to pay some contracts that it may uh, put in place while it's conducting its operations downrange. And so the S-8 and this is what's so beneficial about having the S-8 down at brigade level for the first time since 2014, now provides that linkage, almost like a, a coordinating uh, function, to understand what who's in the AOR, right? Understand that, oh, in the sustainment brigade, there's these finance units whose sole purpose it is is to provide this, um, you know, almost... Uh, regional and, and in sometimes theater level support to ensure that units operating in the space have cash and have the ability uh, to pay contracts, which enables what the, the that brigade or division may be trying to do in the AOR. It provides that effect Correct. to the commander that you had mentioned earlier. That's absolutely right. Now, what about in the brigade? So we've got the S8, the XO, uh, there are some other staff officers right. that, that really are essential uh, to not only executing, but also building and, and driving the budget or the spend plan. Sure. Uh, can you give us some examples of those and maybe what they, they do? And Yeah, uh, certainly, you know, if I was to uh, put myself, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago as a captain and now I'm an S8 in a brigade, uh, the first person that I really want to be friends with and get to know and and, and get get some guidance from, believe it or not, is the S3. And the reason for that is it goes back to my earlier comment of the first thing I need to understand is from an operational standpoint, what is it I'm trying to achieve? What what or what is it that the commander is trying to achieve? And through the three, three is obviously charged with making the commander's um, to visualize what it, the commander's intent and then put in place training events and other things on a operational calendar that ultimately achieve that end state. My role as the S8 is to, to try to digest that and, and, and turn it, turn some dollar figures against that, right? To understand so, how much it's going to cost for us to achieve this end state, if that makes sense. Turning those requirements into dollar figures. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Now, I, just like everyone else, I can't do that alone. Uh, so I go to the, the three is who I go to first, but then folks in the logistics community help me out tremendously as well because then I go to the four, uh, get to know that person. I certainly get to know uh, maybe the senior maintenance person, a SPO also, right? 
Uh, and the reason I say the maintenance person is because that could depend on what type of unit you're in. If you're in a light unit, still I would get to know that person, but maybe not as uh, that relationship is not is not the impetus as there would be in a heavy mechanized unit where the predominance of expenditures are coming through the supply system uh, and maintenance is such a, a I would say it, certainly in the top three of the things that the unit is doing in a heavy mechanized unit or an aviation unit right like the one six well certainly yeah uh, the, those were people I made friends with very quickly just because and this is something that we talk about in the class is the first thing a good XO both the XO and a future S8 want to know is, what is it my unit does? What what is what are our pacing items, right? What are our cost drivers? Because they're going to be uh, vastly different depending on what type of unit you go to. If you go into an aviation or heavy unit, like I said before, engines, blades, transmissions, those things are. That's it. I mean, those are your drivers. Whereas you may go to a unit like here at the CAC or you know within the trade-off footprint and the driving cost pacing item or cost factor is contracts of people or salaries of uh, government civilians for instance so vastly different but those are things that a good XO needs to know um, because it it defines kind of who we who that unit is or you know what that unit's doing yeah, helps build the, the budget, the spend plan. Sure. Gets us sort of prepared for those things. Uh, switching again uh, to another role, I want to talk right. a little bit about ethics. Because okay. money always comes in and is always tied uh, to, to ethical concerns, ethical considerations. We spent a lot of time uh, here in the Command and General Staff College talking about um, the profession. Um, so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, about being a good steward of the taxpayers' money, right? Uh, kind of the role of the field grade in that, uh, and then of course, ethics. Obviously, uh, we don't want to go to jail, but right, yeah, nobody wants to go to jail. Yeah. Um, well, I would go back to that earlier anecdote. You know, I thought uh, in my role as a deputy G eight in the RC in Regional Command East, that being that you know that cost reductionist, that that was the same thing as being ethical, uh, and it wasn't. Right, and that's when the, that senior finance uh, mentor said, "You can still be ethical while at the same time uh, changing your approach so that it's effects based." Right. So what you're trying to achieve, instead of just being this purely dogmatic cost reductionist, is I want to get to yes. I want to leverage funding in such a way that it helps to achieve the end state and I can provide maximum effects uh, while at the same time doing it legally, morally, and ethically. And, and I would argue that it, it's possible. Sometimes it may not be, but uh, it's, it's someone like me's charge to, to try to get the yes and figure that out because um, I think our commanders deserve that. Yeah, one of the ways that we do that um, is through the CARE program. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the Army instituted CARE uh, a little bit long ago, the Command Accountability Execution Review. Uh, in order to 
identify where some of those cost drivers are and help us maximize right. the impact that are affected. I wonder if you could talk about the, the care program and what the XO's role is in that. Right. Now, okay, yes, it's a great program, first of all. Um, it, I would say that it probably would have been instituted sooner, but it, it wasn't because uh, of the initiatives of technology. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back a little bit, if that's okay, and describe kind of how care came to be. When I first started in this business, there was a clear delineation between S8s, G8s, comptrollers, and the folks that uh, work in the finance battalions. Okay, And so S8s, G8s, comptrollers were really focused on commitments and obligations. And, and I'll try to uh, simplify that as much as possible. Think about when you write a check to the electric company to pay your... Uh, electric bill you write the check then you go into your little ledger and you subtract that amount from your current balance that's a commitment now you can still tear up the check if something changes you're, you're not financially obligated but you've recorded it to and the reason you've recorded it is to ensure that this potential outstanding expenditure gets captured against the balance so that you can balance your budget correctly. So you don't overdraft. Correct. Now, you put that check in the mail, you've obligated. You can still stop it. You could call the bank and do a stop payment, right? And so for many years that I've been doing this, commitments and obligations for S8s, G8s, and comptrollers, once we achieved those two phases of a transaction, it was fire and forget. We just forgot about it. Okay. Whereas the finance battalions, finance companies, right, their jobs downrange were to make payments against those things, against those things that we obligated, the contracts, uh, fuel organ officer paying agent operations. And a lot of times payments would be less than what we originally obligated. Now, if you don't make the adjustment to the original obligation in the year that it happened, it carries over into what we call the expired state. And, the, and while money is in the expired state, you can only use it to make adjustments to previous year's transactions. Commanders don't have any buying power with that. It's just there to make corrections, you know, no fault of anyone's own type corrections. Um, but now technology, the speed, the, the, uh, the speed and efficiency of transactions posting into uh, our financial systems has increased very rapidly. And due to that, it is now enabled and encumbered uh, resource managers, S8s, comptrollers, G8s, whatnot, to put more focus on current year disbursements so they can identify potential current year de-obligations, which again, uh, provides the ability for, for dollars to potentially come back and be reutilized in the current year, thereby stretching that commander's buying power. Really help us maximizing that buying power. Absolutely, because historically, if you look at the last uh, 10 years, we have done the fire and forget thing that I mentioned earlier. Let's, hey, commit and obligate. And folks like me were telling commanders, 
sir, ma'am, we're completely obligated. We've achieved that. And, and that was some sort of barometer of success. And it wasn't because what was happening was when the bills actually posted, right, when the treasury actually paid the vendor and then we made the adjustment to the, uh, to the original obligating document uh, and we got that money back, it's prior year money now. I can't do anything with it to help my commander. And when you spread that across the entire enterprise, it was billions of dollars each and every year of lost commander buying power. And so correctly, um, at, he was our previous mil, uh, military deputy for budget, uh, General Horlander. He was the proponent of this program. Hey, technology has come uh, far, and it, it's come far enough that we need to start focusing on current year de-obligations to expand buying power. And that was really the impetus for the program. And that helps us maximize what, what Congress has given us to do the job that we're supposed right. to do. And, and I would go even a little bit further, Chris, and say that it's a credibility thing. So let me give you an example of, uh, and, and to hold that thought, I would say that an S8 uh, comptroller combined with the XO, your number one job when it comes to resource management is establishing credibility. So while at 160th, uh, myself and my deputy, I felt like we leveraged this program we, we, we squeezed every drop of blood out of the turnip we could. And how we developed credibility was this. We, ident we got so good at identifying potential current year de-obligations, having that, those dollars come back, and then buying down our unfinanced requirement list, the UFER list, so that our higher headquarters saw what we were doing and, and actually... At the end of one fiscal year, my higher headquarter comptroller called and said, Deborah, why is it that you're the only unit that doesn't come asking for money? All the other units are saying, hey, I need money for this. I need money for that. Here's my UFER list. And your UFER list is so small, and you hardly ever ask for money. And I told him, I said, sir, I'll never come ask you for money unless I really need it, because I can prove when I really need it. And that established a credibility not for me, for my XO, and for my commander. And that's that role of the field grade outside of the S8, is to maximize that buying power, to establish the credibility. And one of the things you and I have talked about at length outside of the room here uh, is data visualization. And so uh, not only is it the ability of posting uh, these finance charges so quickly and the authorizations and all that, but but also the ability to visualize that data. Uh, and so if you could tell uh, some of the majors out there, you know, one thing, what would it be about data and data visualization? It's kind of a leading question, I guess. Well, but. I would say uh, get, educate yourself about it because I do think it's the next step in where we need to go. Um, what helped me in at 160th uh, execute and achieve what I just described via the CARE program was the ability to connect a lot of data from different sources. And not to get too technical, but the, you know, GFEBS is our financial system. Think of it as the online interface that many of us would use with when we do online banking with USAA or some other bank. But 
obviously it's much more complicated because we have feeder systems, defense travel system. We have the uh, uh, GPC card system through U.S. Bank. We have GCSSA. Um, and so the, those feeder systems feed data into GFEBS because GFEBS is the financial system of record. But a lot of that data doesn't flow over uh, things that GFEBS just doesn't care about. And, and I'll give you some examples. It could be like with DTS, traveler name, uh, trip purpose, trip location. Because GFEBS, the data it wants from DTS is just tell me how much you spent. Right. Because and, why would the financial system care about right. the purpose right. of the trip? Right. And so uh, I was able to put together, leverage uh, data analytics systems to pull in some of that data that wasn't necessarily interfacing between DTS and GFEBS, for example, uh, to give the commander a much more uh, descriptive uh, look at how and where the money was being spent, particularly at the tactical level. Because at the tactical level, questions that my commander was asking, Devram, where did we go? How many people went? How much was spent? Right? And so I was able to use that analytics uh, to answer those questions. But then that, once I made those uh, connections between those systems, that turned into also helping out with the care, through the care program. Where I would say, again, the next step in this evolution is, and this was something that I can remember talking with the uh, regiment operations officer about is how do I pull in operational metrics, right? So that I can see, I can, I can integrate financial data to what I'm trying to achieve operationally. Let me, I'll give you an example. To see those, to visualize those effects. Sure. That, that, yeah. So for instance, using this analytics uh, program that we created, I could say, we sent this many people to this training event, which was located here, and here's how much was spent. Again, I go back to the next evolution of that is, we, what were the effects, right? Because remember, we're buying effects. What did we achieve through that effort? For instance, we certified five CH-47 crews. We five pilots went from being basic mission qualified to fully mission qualified. Three of the pilots became flight leads, right? All of which have parameters that are defined uh, from, from the operation side. And my intent was to say, hey, this is how much it cost. This is where we went. This is what we did. This is what it produced. We achieved this. So that going forward, commanders would have an idea about, gosh, how much is it going to cost me? How much of my unit funding is it? do I have to use to generate this much combat power? Because those were questions that commanders want to know. And so I think that's the next evolution with that analytics is to uh, pull in this op these operational uh, parameters and then jointly between the S-8s and comptrollers and the threes of the world uh, be able to uh, provide for the commander, as you so eloquently said, this visualization that shows them, here's what it's really going to cost, sir or ma'am, to, um, 
have this many crews qualified and in this many tasks and um, to, to essentially have this much lethality, right? I think that's the next evolution, Chris. And, and that crosses the warfighter, uh, the warfighting functions because it's not just finance guys. It's sustainers. Right. It's maintainers. It's fires uh, guys. It's, it's everyone putting data into there. I think data analytics, you're right, uh, is such that huge uh, next wave that, right. that everybody's got to learn. Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. So, Devon, what's new in the finance community? Uh, what's coming out that, that our listeners should be looking forward to? Uh, it kind of changes as we look to the future. Yeah, so we, we hit upon the, uh, the data analytics, and that's certainly uh, huge. Uh, but I also think that uh, something that's on the horizon is the, is the cryptocurrency. And, and maybe not cryptocurrency specifically, but the, the underlying technology, the blockchain. The technology. blockchain, yeah. And, and where I see the potential of where the Army uh, could leverage it is in a, even in a large-scale combat operation, right, in a contingency environment. So let's just presuppose for a minute that here we are in this contingency, uh, this, this large-scale combat operation, and a unit, you know, needs to use, leverage their field ordering officer and paying agent to purchase something off the economy that's going to help it with its mission. Now, under current uh, conditions, those those folks would use cash to do that. Well, either U.S. currency or or, f or the local, the local currency. national currency. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, there's some there's some sustainment uh, issues that could serve to be problematic. It could be that the cash is located. The finance battalion who's providing that cash is so far back, like potentially, let's say, in the core support area, that getting and returning cash is now become an operation in and of itself. Which, for me, why burden that? Why burden commanders with that? Let's keep them focused on the fight, not on this ancillary operation that, you know, facilitates their sustainment, certainly. But it just, it's almost like a, it distracts, yeah. if that makes sense. Well, it's an extra operation that maybe we don't have to do. Right, right. And so I look at this technology as a way that, hey, maybe prior to them leaving the core support area, division support area, to go take their place up front these food these field earning officers and paying agents could have a device of sorts that is preloaded with some sort of digital currency and maybe it's in the form of some blockchain technology so that it's protected or better protected um, and they go out when they move to the front they start making purchases which now achieves two things one doesn't provide that distraction of back and forth because maybe even when they've depleted those funds uh, they just they get on the radio and call back to the core support area to the finance battalion and say hey I need to be reloaded with funding no, no risk of putting soldiers on the road or in the air to go back and get refunded now I think commanders would appreciate that yeah now you've got the other thing the other I think the other good aspect of that or benefit is uh, that of actually dealing with the vendors, right? We, you and I have talked a lot about how what, what the Army is kind of seeing as a, uh, we'll call it just a, a weakness, if, if you will, is that 
brigades go to JRTC, CTC, are very good at fighting the fight, right? But they're not, we're, we hear the term, we need to do better at consolidating gains. Which when I hear that, I, what I hear is that we're not, fight, we're not multitasking well. We're not fighting the current fight and also thinking about the, the next phases at the same time, right? And so I see this, this technology as helping to do that. For instance, I pay a vendor for something. I use this technology. Now I'm not burdening that vendor with carrying some cash around. That he or she has to go back to a bank, which an adversary whether they're a, the actual adversary or some proxy group, right, that's out there providing shaping effects towards the actual adversary, you're not putting them in a position where they're carrying around bags of cash where they might be seen, they might be uh, accosted, abducted, right? And so you, here you are fighting the fight, but you're thinking about things that you would think about in phase four, right? Um, and so I think that, that that's how we could potentially leverage this technology. Um, again, from our own standpoint, to, per, to uh, unburden ourselves from tra traveling back and forth to, just to get refunded, but then also while we're fighting the fight, uh, not putting folks that we may need in phase four stability in a position where they're compromised. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's probably that's just Devin Brown's opinion. Probably another benefit too would be the auditability of it. Sure. Uh, and so because it's now digital, uh, there there are less paper records, more digital records, and that audit auditable trail uh, goes back. Of course, increasing then uh, the good stewardship, the ethics, all the things we've talked about earlier, right. uh, and making that automatic. You know, fulfilling some of the the roles that we have. Uh, back up to Congress and the American people. Now, you bring up a great point, Chris. Uh, you guys, you have to also think about the cash as almost like a property accountability issue uh, in terms of, um, well, what if, what if during the movement of said cash, it gets lost or destroyed, for instance, just like a piece of equipment would. Yeah. Whereas, you know, this field ordering officer and paying agent team, their device gets damaged. Okay. We'll, issue a new device. We'll get we'll get a new device. The 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 funds that are associated with the with the public and private key through the blockchain technology they still reside there, because it's 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 embedded within the blockchain. Yeah, digital wallet as opposed right. to a, a physical. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're also safeguarding against the physical security uh, or providing a better security for the asset itself. So that's another great point, Chris. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's a great one. Thank you. Absolutely. So we've got a, a, a follower question here. Um, what are some resources to help field grades get better at resource management? Well, um, there's certainly, well, let me, let me just say this. Nothing really prepared me <laughs> from the institutional standpoint. And when I say institution, I mean civilian institutional. Because the DOD, the way we do finances, they do not teach that in college. I mean, I'm an, I'm an accountant by trade. I've got a bachelor's and a master's in accounting. And when I first started in this business, it was, it was like learning a brand new language. It just, it's just different. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of, 
it's, it's a little sad in some ways because the colleges really don't even teach how the DOD or, or parts of the federal government do finance. The only finance class I had that had anything to do with government in all of my uh, curriculum in college, they did. I had one class in like how state and local governments do it. And so it, it's really, you know, I would say uh, the Defense Acquisition University is a really good website. It's a fantastic website. I've taken many classes from that. I've taken many classes from uh, uh, that talk about uh, contracts. Because believe it or not, uh, that that just like any good officer needs to know, you need to know things that are outside your particular MOS, right? And that played out. That actually played out for me when I was uh, downrange with the 101st. Is that I really, before I left, I got, I would say, uh, somewhat educated on contracts, the types of contracts. And it, if I can share another quick anecdote with you, that uh, materialized at a time when uh, I was advising the division chief of staff. Because here, here was the problem. During that time, Everybody knows this, really, I think. We were closing a lot of FOBs, right, in Afghanistan. We were, we were retrograding. And there was this, here was the issue from a financial standpoint. We would close a FOB at a certain date, but on that FOB, we, were, we had contracted services. Like, for instance, base, basic life support services, Chris, like trash, gray water removal, uh, other or, or potable water contracts, for instance. And the, and the terms, the period of performance, rather, on those contracts extended well beyond the date that we closed it. So here's what was going on. We would close the FOB, but then we'd have to pay the remainder of the contract or sometimes do a uh, what's called a termination for convenience which then the contracting officer has to go back and negotiate with the vendor and pay them any um, almost up to 80 to 85 percent of the value of the contract because we're the ones who changed the uh, the structure and the dynamic of the contract. Kind of a severance. Oh, yeah, thing. somewhat. You could view it that way. But for me, right, who is trying to advise the chief on how to manage the division's money, I immediately saw that it as we're losing buying power because that's money had we saved it, I can use for something else. And so I can remember going back to the chief and saying, hey, look, every week when we have this acquisition review board that we're having, from now on, when all of our downtrace units come up to renew a contract and they they're just want to hit the easy button, says, yeah, just renew it for a year. No. Everything from now on, three to six months period of performance. Why? Because it's going to be a forcing function to make us look at it more often. It's going to be more work. It is because the units have to prep and prepare more of those acquisition review board packets. However, we're reducing risk because we close a FOB, maybe the period of performance, now that we've reduced the periods of performance, it's only a month we're paying extra as opposed to a six, seven, eight, nine months, right? And so me taking it upon myself, learning about the various contract types, uh, this, I can use this example even in terms of there were times where I advised the division chief of staff, hey, let's not do a firm fixed price 
Firm fixed price means I obligate all my money for the contract right up front. Depending on the requirement, maybe this is more appropriate for, some people call it a blanket purchase agreement, others have called it indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, IDIQ. IDIQ. Right. And so what that allows for is that the contract that's awarded between the government and the vendor is just on pricing terms. Something like gravel is a great example. Instead of me obligating a million dollars for gravel right up front, hey, how about this? The terms of the contract are I pay 50 cents per pound for gravel. And then once I order like over a thousand pounds, it drops down to like 45. In that instance, every time I put an order in, I'm just paying for that order. So I'm not tying up my buying power, my commander's buying power. And that gives my commander flexibility because then he or she can come back and say, hey, I can take some risk with buying, not buying some gravel this month because I need to push funds towards this priority. Let's, we'll come back to the gravel next FY or, or what have you. Again, uh, me going outside my necessary, uh, my area of expertise to learn about another subject, it, it's vital. So I would, going back to your education question, I would tell not just finance officers, but XOs, take some of those DAU classes and contracts because this goes back to the point of CFOs and CEOs. It is, resource management is your business. If, you're, if I was an XO, hey, what, how does this contract work for me? Does it protect my buying power while at simultaneously giving my commander these options and this flexibility? That is the role of the XO. So again, th- those are some things to branch out and look for. Uh, DAU also does has, uh, I would say, finance pure lessons, which are good. And then the finance school has a website that you that even folks that aren't in finance can uh, can leverage. And you can find out more about that at the Defense Acquisition University right. or dau.edu, right. and click on apply for a course or module or right. their training center. They also have several certifications. Uh, that you can apply right. for and earn as you go through. If I could do one more shameless plug, Chris, that would be that the um, the finance school also has a contract with the University of South Carolina. They have a four-week data analytic decision science course. Um, many of our finance officers go to it, uh, but it is my understanding that they will, on a case-by-case basis, uh, allow other non-finance branch folks to go to that course and I, I would highly advise it because I through our conversation I, I do think it's the next it's the next it's where we should go uh, in our effort to uh, focus on maximizing buying power and ensuring that buying that that resources are, are used to achieve operational effects uh, better and more effectively yeah they say data is the new bacon Right. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, for those brigade XOs out there with, with S8s, uh, consider sending, if, if he's not already trained, consider sending your R8, your R8, your S8 right. um, to this course at the University of South Carolina and anybody else uh, that you've got doing decision making, try and get them into that or any other course out there. And thank you for that. Right. So to help us get to know our guests a little bit more personally, okay. other than just across the microphone here. Uh, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first, what's the, the best book that you've read recently? Um, it, that would be 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson. He's my uh, favorite author at the moment. Uh, and then he just came out with another book. I ha- 
Um, uh, I have it. I haven't read it yet, but uh, the 12 Rules for Life book is a really good book. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And then your favorite movie? Uh, that would be The Dark Knight. Oh. Right. I uh, love the themes of The Dark Knight. Uh, the theme of, uh, I think it's uh, really an underpinning of Plato's The Big Lie. Um, or I'm sorry, The Noble Lie. That is the that is the underpinning of that. You know, whether it's okay for authority to lie, lie about something that happens or... But if if they believe it's it is what's best, which I think is a very interesting theme. Awesome. In that movie. Yeah. And then any other uh, other than this one, uh, what is the favorite podcast uh, that you listen to? Oh, I love Joe Rogan. Uh, just the variety of people that he talks to and all the different perspectives is uh, it's fun to watch. I mean, people from you know Elon Musk to. Uh, I think he even talked to Miley Cyrus one time. Just, just the the wide variety and the vast spectrum of people he talks to. It's it's very interesting and it allows the listener to to pick and choose. Like, oh, I really want to, really like to hear what this person has to say. So I think, and and he seems to be a very good listener as well. I think that's why he resonates. Yeah, so. awesome. Number one yeah. podcast uh, in the country. So awesome, awesome choices. Well. Thank you very much, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Devin Brown, for being on the show today. Uh, thank you again uh, to all of our listeners out there. I encourage you to like and subscribe, uh, if that's even possible, find those buttons. And then uh, go ahead and uh, sign on again next week. Uh, we'll be talking about medical resourcing uh, and medical support in large-scale combat operations. So thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Devin. Thank you.